Welcome to the IoT podcast powered by Paratus People. Be among the first to find out what's happening in the fascinating and growing world of IoT from the industry leaders themselves. Hi, I'm Sam Wiltshire and I'm the Delivery Manager at Paratus People. I'm joined here today by Hayden, who is the CEO of SecureThings. Would you mind explaining what SecureThings do and who they are? Hi, Sam, yes. So Secure Things is focused on delivering security into the Internet of Things, hence right. Secure and, and Things. One of the challenges with the Internet of Things is we have millions, perhaps billions of things connecting, and every grain of that connectivity of things needs to have a secure uh, core to right. it. What we do at Secure Things is that we deliver the tools and the frameworks to enable our customers, the OEMs, to deliver that route of trust, to deliver the services on top of that, and ultimately to enable devices to be produced, manufactured and maintained in a secure framework. Okay. So the IoT Security Foundation, which you're a member of and and so are Paratus people, why did you join the IoT Security Foundation? So Secure Things is actually a founder member. So we uh, worked very closely with the NMI, the National Microelectronics Institute, which is now TechWorks, uh, to identify the need for a foundation in this space. One of the challenges is that without a consistent approach to security, we're going to end up with hundreds if not thousands of slightly incorrectly aligned devices. One person's... Uh, view of security is, is different to somebody else's, right. especially with lots of different shapes and sizes of things. So it's very important that we deliver a, a consistent approach to security and through that start to enable some of the best practices. So having worked at security at previous organizations, I personally owned security at Arm for a number of years, okay. working with major mobile phone manufacturers, etc. We wanted to take the best practices that we saw in the mobility domain and bring those to bear on the nascent IoT and do that at an early enough stage that we can impact how all of these devices are secured, how they're connected and how it becomes safe to connect. So is the IoT SF part of a a governance or is that being brought in as as a governance for... So, um, the IoTSF has evolved a set of government procedures. Um, the original ones being 13 best practices for right. consumer electronics. And we've done that as an organization, um, working you know, with all of our different stakeholders. Uh, and through that, delivered these best practice guidelines. Subsequently, those have actually been picked up by government organisations. So in the UK, the Department of Digital, Culture, Media and Sport have picked those up and consumed those and is using those best practices to drive the legislation. Uh, And that's been very successful. We're now on the third stage of legislation with the UK government looking at how we actually give that teeth to encourage people to do the right thing. Uh, Because again, we have to have a level playing field. Further to that, we're also seeing now NIST in the US and both ETSI, the European Telecommunications Standards Institute, and ANISA uh, in the UK looking at picking up those best practices as well. So the work that we've done with the IOTSF, 
really has percolated through people's consciousness and is really starting to drive legislation at a global level. So it's been a phenomenal success okay. for the IT Security Foundation. So with all the, obviously the companies that are working, developing these devices, do you think we're ready for on a security aspect for all of these new devices moving forward? Um, I think unfortunately there's still a lot of work to do. Um, and security is never actually black and white. You're never either secure or insecure. Yeah. You tend to be secure up until the point that you find that you've been breached. Yeah. Uh, and then you need to move forward. What we are seeing is a lot of the mainstream devices now, we can associate a level of security with those, enabling protection of intellectual property and enabling some secure manufacturing. But as we look forward uh, into true IoT, there's still a lot of work to do around true identity of devices at a station, how we measure whether a device is secure or not, and authentication and authorization. Uh, does the device have the rights to do a certain job or does the person or the thing communicating to it have the authorization to ask it to, to react? So those things are evolving. Um, we're seeing a whole set of new devices coming through from the semiconductor partners, from organizations such as ST Microelectronics, NXP, Renesas, yeah. Microchip, Cypress, and many, many others. So we're moving into a situation where we are now starting to be ready for connectivity, but there's still, I think, a lot to do. What we have to do fundamentally, though, is we need to move security from a bolt-on, an afterthought, to security being at the front of the development, wow. um, yeah. really from the inception. If you think about it, there's three stakeholders there at the start of a project. There's the OEM with the design intent. Yep. Uh, there's the physical platform, the chip from one of these chip companies. Uh, and then there is the software tooling around that. And that's where I think we can bring security and the tools from secure things to bear. Right at the start with the design intent, ensuring that we secure intellectual property, we create a secure supply chain, and then we put in place the components which enable us to manage uh, that device over its life cycle. Because it's no longer hold your nose and ship, you've got to think about how long am I going to manage that device for? Uh, how am I going to serve patches to it? How am I going to update functionality? So again, the answer is we have a lot of the base pieces coming into place, yeah. and that's great but we still have a journey to do to really meet the requirements of that nascent legislation. And do you think that's the case because the security is, uh, I guess, still sort of classified as a bolt-on at the moment, rather than being in that sort of first phase inception as a piece of yeah. security that's required? It's a good question. I think um, the biggest problem is how people value security. Right. It's very difficult to value the threats on a piece of technology until a breach has happened. And we saw that with Hydro Aluminium, a big aluminium company over in Norway. Right. They had a breach. So far, it's estimated that a breach has cost them between 40 and $50 million. Right. So this is existential threat level to many organizations. 
But until you've been through that, it's very difficult for a board and for the investment decisions to frame cybersecurity as a value. We need to get better at that. But one of the things which we can do is we can understand better the value of the intellectual property in our devices. So if you're an OEM and you're creating a device, you know how much money you're spending on R&D. You know how long that takes you to get to market and the time to money. You know what your competition will look like in the marketplace. So we can value that R&D. Maybe it's 5 or 10 or $20 million worth of R&D for a, for a big uh, project. But what we can do with security is that we can protect that IP. And therefore it becomes a lot easier for people to value security properly and also inherit all the things which make a, a breach later on far less likely right. or at least, least less successful. So with where the market is now and where it's going to be, what are the obstacles that we, we as consumers as well as, I guess, providers need to ultimately get to? What are the obstacles to get to that future point? Okay. Probably, again, two aspects. There's technological barriers and there's commercialization barriers. Um, the technology barriers are probably the easier ones to address. So, first of all, we can now add security to existing mainstream um, devices and applications. So, taking very commonly deployed microcontrollers, we can now add a level of perhaps good enough security yeah. to those to enable uh, at least a better level of security in those. Over time, we're seeing more secured microcontrollers and microprocessors coming to market, and that's great. And fundamentally, I think the OEMs understand that security is going to hit them and are starting to do the right things. But it's a journey, and we're not going to get there overnight, but we need to move security step by step forward. The bigger challenge often is the commercial challenge. Who's going to pay for security? Why should they pay for security? And how do we ensure a level playing field there? Uh, again, this has been one of the key things around legislation because we know, uh, as most consumers, we will naturally go for, if, if you have two products, one cheaper than the other, it's very natural, very human to yeah. go for the cheaper product. And that will often be the one without security. So the real cost is later on when your privacy is breached. So what we have to do is we have to have a legislative framework for consumer electronics, which makes sure that everything has to hit a certain level of security so that we can ensure that manufacturers have to achieve the same things. That doesn't mean security should be expensive. Our view is that good security should be associated with a, project, a product with less than a 1% increase right. to okay. its, its uh, retail price. That's not a lot to pay for good security. Um, there's a lot of things to get there. We have to have the business models and we have to have security from inception. The other side of the commercial coin is that actually good security also enables a lot of new value to be created. Right. Uh, instead of just having a washing machine and selling it once, and very few uh, customers filling in the warranty form. With connected devices, they can dial back in, you can understand who's using them, and you can sell additional services and warranties and updates and managed services on top of that. And that actually has a transformational capability on the business. 
where the thing actually just becomes a vehicle for the service as opposed to the thing uh, being the value itself. So that's going to be a big transformational thing. So fundamentally, the challenges are really around how we value security, uh, how we can drive more revenue out of security and how it moves from being a cost, a bad thing for the company, to being a positive, an enabler uh, for the future of those organisations. So where does the security begin with a secure device? So fundamentally, it should really start at the product manager uh, level. Somebody who is understanding the thing which they're going to create, the market that they want to influence. So security should be there to protect their customers, but also to deliver a set of services on top. Yeah. Um, Obviously, then it comes into the engineering team and they have to deliver on that vision, which is easier said than done because security is a very big word. It really means a lot of different things yeah. to different people. So it needs to be specified. We have to have, okay, well, what's the legislation? Um, what is the route of trust? How do I manage that device? How do I make sure it's my device? Who are the other stakeholders? How is that device going to be consumed? Is it straight to a consumer or is it built into a larger system and a larger system? Does it require managed systems? Do you need to delegate trust um, throughout the, the system? Um, fundamentally, as I say, it really needs to start though right at the start of the design cycle, from the point of inception. Okay. Um, it's very difficult to bolt on security afterwards, as we've seen from the PC marketplace. This is why anti-malware software has to be layered. Yeah. It slows down the computer because you have to look into all the files and you have to really think about security as a bolt-on. Right. For the Internet of Things, it can't work that way. There aren't enough resources in the chips. So we have to get it in correct at the start. We have to extend, extend the boot process with a secure boot framework, okay. Secure Boot Manager, that offers a set of services around what can be loaded into the device to inhibit malware uh, and to ensure that only our software is on there. We have to think about version management, so we can't do what's called rollback attacks, taking the device back to a version of the software with yeah. known exploits. Yeah. Um, and we have to think about how that device is going to be managed over its life cycle. And again, we're really moving from a fire and forget mentality with all of our embedded systems to one where we have to manage it perhaps over 10 or even 20 years. We've never really had to do that in any marketplace apart from uh, mill aerospace. Right, yeah. And now we're going to have to do it in consumer space. And, and again, that means big differences in the way that people's business models are structured. Um, but also the opportunity to really drive revenues and connect with your customers. Right. And does that part of, does that excite you about sort of the, the security of where the devices are now and where we need to be and the fact that we need to have these devices for 10, 20 years? Is that mm. what excites you about the IoT world? Or? Um, well, I think the nature of the Internet of Things is that we don't know what's going to be built. Traditional machine to machine, we know what's in our system. We can almost pre-describe it. We know which vendors we're getting things from, and we know how they're meant to work together. The Internet of Things is far more fragmented than that. Uh, my personal great example is Connected Baby Grow. 
you can get a baby growth for the baby, it can monitor the baby's breathing right. and body temperature, and that's great and it's really interesting. But the really important thing is if the baby stops breathing, perhaps because that's going to be likely at night, I can have the alarm clock make sure it wakes me up. The alarms across the house should be yeah. blaring and the lights should automatically come on. And I've taken something which is interesting, you know, connected baby growth, into probably the most important alarm system I would ever own as a parent. Yeah. Because that is really the focus of the system. But we'll never have the baby grow company talking to the lighting company, talking to the alarm clock company. We have to have these structures which are flexible enough to enable different components to work together. Security is an inherent part of that. It's the most important part of that because you have to have trust between these unknown entities. They have to be able to say, I'm trustworthy. Somebody has to attest to that and say, yes, they've got the right certificate. We trust them. It's been produced correctly. And they've got to deliver that trusted network to the other systems. And that type of complexity has never been tested before. Right. So this is what really excites me about IoT and security, the ability to build these very adaptive systems. Um, and then when we add AI, artificial intelligence, and machine learning around that, and these things are talking to each other without any human interaction, uh, we're going to make sure that those are pushing the right data across, that it's trustworthy data, it hasn't been poisoned, the outcomes aren't going to be changed. Um, we need to make sure the actual machine learning algorithms are operating correctly. And we basically need to have trust in these systems which are going to surround us and augment us right. as, uh, as, as individuals. Okay. And with the, the security of, of IoT devices obviously being a massive uh, part of, of IoT moving forward, where do you find sort of sourcing engineers or indeed finding developers and or engineers for that matter? Where, where are they coming from? Um, Obviously, because we live on the bleeding edge, there are very few uh, engineers who have the, the um, experience that we are building here at Secure Things. So we obviously need to bring in people who are gifted engineers, uh, but who are really excited about implementing security, working with the chip companies on their next generation devices, working with the cloud companies on how we interact with AWS and Azure and the other cloud um, platforms, and fundamentally also interested in working with the OEMs uh, to solve these problems. As part of IAR, the largest compiler and embedded tools vendor globally, we have over 44,000 OEMs uh, and over 170,000 active users of our compilation tools. Right. It's our mission to make every single one of those users a security user, a security developer. Yeah. Uh, and this is the really exciting part. We have the best of both worlds. We have the consistency and the backing of uh, the market leader of Embedded Tools alongside this clear vision around security and IoT and how we enable the IoT to really scale. So you mentioned that with IoT, we don't know what's going to be built in the future. So how do you build security for something which isn't built yet? 
So what we have to do is look at some of the foundational IoT and security technologies that we need to build in there. Fundamentally, because we don't know how these systems are going to work, what we have to do is figure out how to create security in a quantum of computing right. at, at the individual node level, at the individual chip level. And then those things will build together. So there are some standard components that we can use. As I said earlier, we can extend the boot process to make sure that we have an authenticated loading and installation and update mechanism yeah. so that only the people who created the first code can sign that code correctly, can encrypt it in such a way that it actually gets on the device. The reality is every device will be breached, will be compromised at some point. What we build, other people can break. But what we need to have is the mechanism to recover and remediate that device to a known good state and then update it to protect it. We have to figure out and have the mentality that we're in an asymmetric war. We have to be right 100% of the time. The attacker only has to be lucky once. Yeah. So we have to take the approach that, okay, we're going to do the best job that we can, but we know we're going to have to augment security all the way through. The SBM, Secure Boot Manager, is a really important part of that. The counterpart to that is what's called the root of trust. The root of trust is a component in the chip, or the whole chip if we lock it down tightly, which is immutable and trustworthy. Uh, immutable means that it just can't be changed, the bad guys can't get in there to right. change it and therefore when we really reset the device, we can be sure that that part is still correct, functionally okay. correct. Um, we need to be able to put in identities into that route of trust as well. So these really kind of need to move from serial numbers and human identifiable uh, capabilities to true uh, public key infrastructure or PKI identities. Yeah. So in this case, these are private keys, which may be, you know, 64-bit or 256-bit yeah. uh, long. Um, and we maintain the private side inside the root of trust and we expose the public side into our system. By doing that, we can sign things in such a way that you know, okay, you've got the key, you can sign a message with it and I can read it because it's been signed right, correctly. Okay. These security technologies, PKI and others, have been well tested in traditional InfoSec, information security, but never really brought en masse into the IoT. And this is part of what we're doing okay. with secure things and with our products such as Embedded Trust and C-Trust. Uh, but doing that in such a way that every developer can develop with these tools. Security shouldn't be an a la carte. Security at this level should be a tick box. Yeah. Would you like to protect your intellectual property? Well, that should be a fairly simple yeah. yes. Yeah. Would you like to protect your manufacturing to stop cloning and counterfeiting and overproduction? That should be yeah. a fairly easy yes. Would you like to have a proper identity which you can act on? Would you like to have an update mechanism which is scalable from the chip up? These, you know, you may want to go in and you may want to tailor with them. That's fine. But fundamentally, everybody would say yes to those questions. And therefore, there's a lot of work that we can do to get that framework correct. And then people step on from that. 
And so, as I say, we want to make this really easy for people. They can just take the tools, they can tick a box to say, protect my intellectual property, and it's automatically versioned and encrypted and signed, and therefore nobody can see what's inside that intellectual property, nobody can look at the code base. And it can be sent across the world to the production line, it can be put on the programming machine, it can connect to the chip, and only when it touches the chip does the code check its signature and decode, right. decrypt into the device and program the device. So we also bring about a huge scalability in manufacturing where perhaps less trustworthy environments can now be made trustworthy yeah. and therefore we can bring down the cost of manufacturing at scale. Okay. So if you woke up tomorrow and there's one big change that happened overnight within IoT security or security in general, what, what would that be? I think for me it would be to resolve the legislative frameworks. Now, designing by legislation is never the best thing in the world, but fundamentally there needs to be a forcing function to make sure that everybody works in lockstep to improve security across uh, the industry across Europe, the US, Asia Pacific. Um, a lot of that work is already underway. Um, we have the frameworks for that, but it's going to take time uh, for that really to be adopted, for it to start impacting design cycles and ultimately the products delivered. But fundamentally, there is some very base hygiene levels that the legislation needs to enforce. Fundamentally, taking the UK governance, number one is no fixed passwords and when you do a reset on the device, it shouldn't go back to a, a standard password yeah. because that's open to social networking attacks. Yeah. The second thing is that you have to tell people how long you're going to be supporting a device. Is it two years? Is it five years? Is it ten years? Um, and inside that, you have to have vulnerability disclosure. Legally, you have to tell people when you know that there is an issue with right. your device and notify them. And of course, the third thing is then a mechanism for patching and remediating devices, taking them back out of the control of the bad guys and giving them back to their owners. If we can solve those three things, legislation is probably going to be the driver for that then I think we're going to really drive the hygiene level uh, in the IoT domain. So Hayden, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank a pleasure. you very much. Thank again. you. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for more episodes in the IoT podcast, the leading podcast among the IoT community.